looking at uh, John chapter 10, verses uh, 7 through 15 this morning. Let's stand together to read the gospel for the gospel reading, shall we? And I'd like for us, uh, uh, if you can, just read along with me. We read the, the words of Jesus this morning. So Jesus explained it to them. I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who come before me were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and find good pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. A hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him and he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. The hired hand runs away because he's working only for the money, doesn't really care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me. Just as my father knows me and I know the father, so I sacrifice my life. For the sheep. You may be seated. We saw last week Pastor Pete preached on I am the gate for the sheep. Of course, when he said sheep, he was talking about us people. A few verses later, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Now that's easier to understand. We are the sheep, Jesus is the shepherd. He is not only the shepherd, but he is the good shepherd, a shepherd who protects the sheep and at the risk of his life. Now we like that shepherd image. Most of us feel vulnerable and it's comforting to know that we have a good shepherd watching over us, helping us to not stray into the ditch, protecting us from the wolves that would devour us. You know, being a shepherd is not a part-time or a sometime job. Shepherds don't work just 40 hours a week. I looked at on the internet for information about shepherds, but didn't find much. Most, most sites that popped up about shepherds are church ministries or German shepherd dogs. But I did find one site entitled Unusual Ways of Making a Living. It told about a 23, 23-year-old woman who is a shepherd in Colorado. She works 18 hours a day and sleeps with a 30-30 rifle to guard the sheep against coyotes and and bears, I certainly wouldn't find her job attractive, but she likes it. She says, I don't have all those little hassles. Being alone lets me get my thinking together. Besides that, she's in great demand because not many people want to be shepherds these days. Now, you know, we don't know a lot about shepherds or sheep. That's not our culture, but we do understand what it means to be a parent, many of us here, right? We know what it, under, what it means to, to have a parent. Just substitute that word parent or, or child for shepherd. For we do the same task. We feed, we clothe, we provide for, we educate, we spend the long hours sometimes in the night praying for and sitting up with our sick children. We help guide their, their steps to good friends and away from 
bad friends because friends make a big difference in the lives of our kids, especially in the lives of teenagers. We sacrifice. We do all that we can within our power to prepare them to be successful in life. I remember Dr. James Dill, one of our general superintendents in the Church of Nazarene, uh, lost a son, and the son was in the prime of life. And he made this plea to God, God, why didn't you take me instead of my son? I've already lived my life. And I'm sure he would have given his life like many of us would as parents. As parents, we would give our lives that our children may live. Well, Jesus did sacrifice himself that we may have life eternally. Jesus died so that that deceased son or daughter or grandchild could live eternally. And in our humanness, in our pain, in our grief, it's easy to lose sight of the big picture. That's life together throughout eternity. So Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. We appreciate that. He says, I'm the gate for the sheep. Verse 7, as we saw last week in Jesus' day, a village sheepfold would have a gate to protect the sheep. But they were in the countryside and also would have to protect the sheep. And they literally became a a door as they laid in front of that door so no predators could get into the sheepfold. So the shepherd walked with the sheep during the day, leading them to green pastures, protecting them from danger at night. The shepherd became the gate using his body, his presence to block the way for the predators that might harm the sheep. So when Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, he means I put my life on the line every day to protect the sheep. And when Jesus says, I'm the gate for the sheep, he means I put my life on the line every night to protect the sheep. So whether Jesus is the shepherd or the gate, he's there to protect and provide for the sheep. And we are the sheep. We are the ones whom Jesus loves. We are the ones for whom he gave his life. We are the ones in his care now, day and night. As we saw last week, the repetition of that phrase, I am the gate, also places emphasis on the exclusiveness of Jesus as a way to eternal life. In fact, it's, it's a prominent motive in this fourth gospel of John. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. Now, it's popular today in our culture of inclusivity to believe that there are many equally valid ways and doors that lead to God, but this verse states otherwise. As Christians, we are called to evangelize because Jesus is the gate to abundant life, not only for eternity, but for now. He gave us that great commission in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 through 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Now, apart from the issues of world religions, we are also tempted to seek salvation or deliverance from our brokenness, from our evil, through psychology, through free enterprise, through education, through science or technology. Most of these institutions have been around long enough to be evaluated as systems which would make us better people, systems that would make our world a better place, but they flunk especially when it comes to making us better people spiritually or morally or ethically 
or relationally. Because each of those produce both good and, and bad fruit. For an instance, technology makes it easier both to save lives and to kill. Both to promote good and to promote evil. Education makes us smarter but does not ensure that we'll not turn our knowledge to evil ends or rejection of God. Social networking can be a good thing for allowing old friends to reconnect, but it's bad when it comes to bullying and that continued spread of misinformation and hate speech. Whoever enters by me will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture, Jesus says. This is the purpose of the sheepfold, not just heaven someday, but safe haven in a dangerous world to protect sheep from thieves and predators and saves us from our own foolishness. And that is in keeping with Jesus' earlier words in John when he offers living water, a spring of water gushing up to eternal life in chapter 4, a food that endures for eternal life, chapter 6. Finding food is the purpose of leaving the fold. Sheep in the fold eat hay. Last year's crop, dry, tasteless, to find succulent green pasture and cool running water, they must leave the sheepfold. The Jesus shepherd leads to good pastures. The thief's purposes is to kill and steal and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life, says Jesus in John 10.10. The thief focuses only on satisfying his own needs and cares little about the welfare of others. Phony grace, false security, make-believe shepherds abound. And so do misleading doorways. It's interesting in context, prior to this chapter, is chapter 9, of course, and the story of Jesus killing a blind man. This would be a great comedy routine. Jesus heals a blind man who's been blind from birth. He takes some dirt and spits in it, makes a little mud, puts on the guy's eyes and heals him. Now, something that good should not happen on the Sabbath, right? Just can't. So the Pharisees show up and they question this guy. You sure you were blind from birth? Yeah, yeah, I'm blind from birth. Well, we want to ask your parents just to verify that. Parents show up on the scene. Yeah, he's blind for birth, but he's old enough to answer for himself. Ask him. So they ask him again. <laughs> and uh, they ask him so many times. He says, why do you keep asking me this? Do you want to be his disciple? Oh, talking about it in fuel of the fire. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a funny line right there. I mean, these guys hated Jesus. They were trying to trap him continually. And so, uh, hey, look, he said, I don't know much about this guy. All I know is once I was blind, but now I see. He had a testimony and he couldn't, uh, they couldn't take it away from him. You know, in Christianity, there's all different kinds of doctrines and constructs to understand our faith, try to explain the relationship that we're in with Christ. But the main thing is we're in that relationship. <laughs> all I know is once I was blind, now I see. We don't lack for examples of thieves and bandits in the church world today. The church suffers from a televangelist who promise wealth for the sheep, but reap wealth for themselves. Sadly, two friends of mine 
One was a Nazarene pastor, the other a Nazarene missionary, dishonored themselves and injured their families and their congregations by being involved in illicit sexual behavior. The Catholic Church has suffered because of the sins of a few rogue priests. And as I read Christian periodicals, there's no short supply of pastors in the Southern Baptist Convention and independent churches who use their unchecked authority and power to misuse church funds, to abuse church staff, to commit acts of sexual misconduct. But the biggest problem in the American church is there are pastors and denominational leaders who are tempted to pack the pews by telling people what they want to hear instead of what they need to hear. All these are thieves and bandits who steal and kill and destroy, who steal that which belong, does not belong to them, who steal the, kill the trust of those who believe them, who destroy faith. Leaders in the church and we who are entrusted with the word and sacrament need to always remember that the devil, whom Jesus calls a murderer, works especially hard to bring us down. Nothing serves Satan's purposes better than rogue clergy or rogue Christian leaders or rogue Christians. We must always be on guard against temptation lest we find ourselves numbered among the thieves and bandits. We need a shepherd. We need a shepherd to guide us along the right path to help us make good decisions. We live in a complicated world where there are few standards and few guideposts to guide us. We make decisions every day, and some of those decisions have the potential to make us or break us. Sadly, important decisions seldom announce themselves as important decisions. More often, we make what seems to be a small decision that leads to another small decision, and then another and another. Pretty soon, we find ourselves in a place that we hadn't expected to be. A phrase I've remembered through the years that makes so much sense, we sow a thought, we reap an act. We sow an act and reap a habit. We sow a habit and reap a character. We sow a character and reap a destiny. Accidental journeys more often lead downward than upward. We need to be intentional about our spiritual life. That's certainly how the tempter plans in any way to not be intentional. Waldo Farrell puts it this way. The devil does not shock a saint into alertness by suggesting whopping crimes. He starts off with a little, almost inoffensive things to which even the heart of a saint would make only mild protests. So how does Jesus prepare us for those small temptations that have the potential to unravel our lives? We might take note of the way that Jesus prepared his disciples for their work. One of the ways he prepared his disciples was his teaching ministry. He taught his disciples many things, some of which they understood right away, but many of them they understood only after the resurrection because the resurrection helped them to clarify things that he had said. Another way that Jesus prepared his disciples was his healing ministry. He did great and wonderful things for people in need. His disciples had the opportunity to see God's power at work. But one of the most important ways that Jesus prepared his disciples was simply spending time with them, walking the dusty roads of Palestine with them, sharing meals with them, telling them stories, showing them by example what it means to walk in a way that pleases the Heavenly Father. I love the series, The Chosen. 
I mean, if you haven't seen that, you need to download the app, the Angel app, and start watching that because it's, it's just a wonderful, artistic, and biblical, accurate way to see that interaction between Jesus and his disciples and the life they built together and the, the vast difference between the disciples. One time when he sends the, two, the disciples out two by two, he paired together James the Zealot and Matthew the tax collector. Couldn't be more opposite each other. It is a miracle, the church, that it survived. But Jesus said, it's my church. Gates of hell shall not prevail, or Hades shall not prevail against it. So spending time, uh, he spent time with his disciples. In this, he was operating very much like a shepherd. Shepherd walked the roads and the pathways with their sheep, leading them, keeping them from danger, talking to them, calling them my name. In verse 16 of the passage says, Jesus knows and listens to his voice. The sheep know and listen to the voice of our shepherd. Jesus was a shepherd to his disciples, and his shepherding skills prepared them for the great mission that he ascent, once he ascended back into his heavenly glory. Now, that should be instructive for us, right? For his disciples, the time we spend with Jesus prepares us for life. The time we spend with Jesus prepares us for life, for the challenges that we will face. It prepares us for the decisions we have to make. That's one reason we come here to worship each week, right? It's time that we spend with Jesus, learning from his example, learning from his teachings. But we need more than an hour a week with Jesus. We need to spend time with Jesus in prayer. We need some sort of program to, to read his word regularly. We need to be involved in small groups with other Christians, people who embody our Lord. Perhaps a Sunday school class, accountability group, Bible study, life group. Those all count as time spent with Jesus as the shepherd. They prepare us for the decisions we make that have the potential to set us on an upward or a downward path. A few years ago, National Geographic magazine uh, ran an article that illustrates what I'm talking about. It was an article about the Alaskan bull moose. Uh, during the breeding season, the male of the species battles for dominance. They butt heads. They use their antlers as a weapon, and usually the antlers of one moose will break off in one of the gargantuan collisions, and that spells the end of the fight. The moose, with the strongest antlers, wins. The article went on to make this point. The battle isn't won or lost in the few minutes that the moose butt heads. The battle was won or lost long before when the moose are eating to gain weight, to bulk up. The moose that consumes the best diet in the summer is a moose that will win the battle in the fall. The same principle applies in every arena. Football games are won in the workout room, on the training field as much as the, the playing field. And by the time the game starts, much has already been decided. And so it is with us. When temptations come, when critical decisions are to be made, the time that we spent with Jesus, the shepherd, and the fellowship with other Christians in his flock can make all the difference. What we've learned by walking with him can save us. It can save us from a lot of heartache, a lot of grief, a lot of sadness. It's then that Jesus the shepherd becomes Jesus the gate, the one who stands between us and the evil one who would devour us. 
In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus taught us to say, deliver us from evil. That's an important prayer. Because we live in a world where evil can rear its head in the most unexpected places. The time we spend with Jesus, the shepherd, prepares us for our encounters with evil. It says in verse 10, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Greek word there, parason. Parason. Unlike the thief, Jesus is focused on the welfare of the sheep. Coming or going, Jesus' sheep are safe and well-fed. They have life. They have it abundantly. Parason. What does that word mean? That word means that which goes way beyond necessity. Way beyond what we just need. John wanted all his readers to know that the gift of Jesus is life beyond our wildest dreams. Abundance means you have a great quantity of something. You have more than enough, more than you need. Just a couple examples came to mind. Think of all the choices we have in food as we go to the grocery store. If you've ever been to foreign countries, not all countries have the same choices we do. There are more items on the shelves than we could ever need. I went to the grocery store recently to search for a certain type of yogurt for my wife, only to discover that there are more kinds and flavors and brands of yogurt than breakfast cereal almost. That's abundance. We also see abundance in nature. When it snows, millions of snowflakes float down from the sky until snow piles to make a drift. An abundance of snowflakes shuts down freeways and schools and governments and everything else. Think of the stars. My favorite thing to do when I'm camping, away from all the light interference, is look up in the sky. And on a, on a clear moonless night, we can see that about 3,000 stars, they think, with the naked eye. If we use a telescope, we can see approximately 100,000 stars. And no one knows for sure how many stars there are, but some astronomers say there are 200 billion stars in the Milky Way alone. That's abundance. That's his word. That's, that's abundance. Jesus said, I've come that you may have life and have it abundantly. What comes to your mind when you think about abundance? Jesus talks about abundance. He said, I've came that they may have life and have it abundantly. He speaks, of all, he speaks to all of humankind, every one of us. He speaks to each one. I believe this means that when we allow him to be our shepherd and we follow him, it's just a relationship, follow, we walk with him. We're given more than we will ever need. His love is endless and given in abundance. If we want to experience life in its fullness, we will ask, what would Jesus have me receive from him today? What would he, what does he have to say to me today? Uh, we tend to ask God, why? And God basically says, you know, it'd take me eternity to explain it to you, son. <laughs> So we need to change to, Lord, what do you want me to know? What do you want me to know? What do you want me to receive from you today? How can I place myself in a position to receive what is good from the shepherd? As we bring our lives into compliance with Jesus' will, in a position to receive from him, he blesses us with abundant life. That doesn't necessarily mean health and wealth. It means abundance, which has more to do with what is in our hearts, in our minds, in our attitudes, in our relationships, in what is in our wallet or our hand. Spend time with the good shepherd. Let him teach you how to live. 
Let him direct you to a safe haven where you can experience peace and security even in the midst of the storms of life. Let him lie down across the entrance to, to be the gate, the one through whom intruders will have to pass to get to you. Let him lead you to green pastures. Let him guide and protect you. Let him deliver you from evil. If you do that, Jesus will lead you off the downward road onto the upward road. With Jesus as your shepherd, your soul will be restored. Goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life, and you will dwell in the house of the Lord 